When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit TobinBrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello everybody and welcome to the show, made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well today, we're joined by a man who had to overcome numerous hurdles and a seemingly never-ending wait to fulfil his dream of playing test cricket for his country. Yet Chris Rogers is remembered for being one of Australia's gutsiest opening batters, a man who refused to take no for an answer and was rewarded with some glorious moments on the biggest stages world cricket can offer. Chris, hello and welcome, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Sammy. Really appreciate uh, being asked to come on. Now, I reckon you can sometimes glean a bit from a person's Twitter bio, Chris. You've only got 160 characters to play with, I think, but you've gone with short, short-sighted, colour-blind, redhead. Uh, yeah, there, there was a... Um, I guess I grew up as a, a, a small little ginger kid, but I got picked on a little bit. Um, yeah, so... I don't know. There were times where I thought things were, didn't go my way, but uh, but probably you know what defined me a little bit and 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 how I kind of uh, you know had to fight a little bit to to get everything um, that came my way. But uh, yeah, there was uh, I don't know. There, there, if I look at it like that, it doesn't sound too appealing. But I, I think I've lived a pretty fortunate life, to be honest. <laughs> I was thinking that is the absolute definition of self-deprecating. But then I got thinking about the, as you just touched on there, I guess we call it the Aussie battler, don't we? And and that was one that you were seemingly happy to adopt, that mentality. And, and we assume from the outside looking in that it, that it served you well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I always had it. Um, you know, I speak to my, my parents about what I was like as a, as a young kid now that I had a, a young child and, and I was just, you know, super competitive a bit stroppy when things didn't go my way, but um, but just always, you know, always had a, a bat or a ball in my hand and, and was, was, you know, wanting to win kind of thing. So I think that that's probably um, stuck with me throughout my, my career and, and in some respects I probably wasn't the most gifted um, cricketer. I, I didn't potentially, well, I didn't hit the ball like Mark War or Adam Gilchrist or, or, or anything like that, but... Um, you know, I had probably had other um, attributes, and and one of them was to to keep fighting. So um, yeah, I, I think that that was probably what defined me. 
I wouldn't worry about Gilly, mate. I think he's ruined it for absolutely everyone, the impossible benchmark, <laughs> if, if, ever, if ever there was. But um, the colour blindedness, I mean, that's been a fascinating topic for people to learn about you over the years. And I, I can't imagine there'd be too many interviews over the journey that you've done where it hasn't come up. But can I just ask you, Chris, was it something you were born with, like most people, or did you inherit that, you know, later in life? Uh, no, no, you're, you're born with it. Um comes through your mother, actually. Um if I have a daughter, she'll probably carry it and, and, and give it to her son. So, um, yeah, I, I was, um, I've always had it. And I think it's something that you just learn to live with. Um, it's not like I can't see colour. I can see colour. It's just, um, I, I kind of equate it to, I, I, I'm wearing wearing sunglasses a lot of the time. I just don't see the, the, the brightness that, um, you know, most people get to see. So it, it, it probably, um, it, it got in the way a little bit. Uh, particularly in the field, when you're side on, it's really hard to you know pick up the ball in in terms of the background and um, yeah. For, for many many years, I couldn't wear sunglasses out because I, the only glasses I understood were the, were the grey lensed one, which which would kind of make the grass and the ball merge into into one colour. So um, it wasn't until kind of once I started playing for Australia and, and OPSM actually um, got in touch and and helped me understand that you could get different coloured lenses that, that would make uh, the ball stick out. That um, Yeah, I, I do, that, do that. So little things like that, you know, you learn to live with along the way. But um, I, I didn't, it didn't really get in the way too much. Probably the one time it did was highly embarrassing was um, the full toss from Graham Swan at, at, at Lords in 2013. The ball went above the sight screen and I just completely lost it. So hit me on the box and um, was going to be missing the stumps, but I was given out LB. So... Yeah, that was probably the one time I, um, yeah, it came and, and, and bit me on the ass. Yeah, and I'm obviously no optometrist, Buck, but short-sighted as well. Does that necessarily mean that your long sight is excellent? I mean, can you spot a fly on the wall from 100 yards or it's just your standard your standard sight, anything that's not uh, in your immediate field of view is, is normal? Uh, no, so I can see short-sighted. I can, I can see close. I can't see far, so... Um... Uh, but yeah, it was. It, it's right. The, probably the worst thing about it was um, if I look back now, that when I played my my test debut, I wore these ridiculously um, bad glasses that I'll always um, have to deal with because because that picture seems to follow me anywhere. But yeah, they they weren't quite the stylish glasses I, I should have had in my first test. So, um, but yeah, it was it was. It's more just dealing with, you know, contact lenses and glasses and things like that. But like I said, yeah, these are the things you get used to. Yeah. So I was just uh, going to ask, actually, you wore glasses to field. I think you initially started batting with them too, but did the sweat become an issue there? Because you, you moved to the contacts, didn't you? Yeah. I, I never – I tried not to bat in glasses. It would only do that if it was um, – like I had two overs or three overs to bat at the end of the day or something like that. But um, – but yeah, it was it was more the sweat. Yeah, you, 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 if you're batting glasses, I mean, some people do. I don't quite know how they do it, but um, yeah, the sweat would would kind of run down the glasses, and then then it become difficult. But the other thing is, I I found it hard to wear contacts in in the field because the wind would somehow get in, um, and and just make it all gritty. Whereas, um, yeah, when you're batting, the, the wind didn't seem to get inside the helmet for some reason. Don't know why, but um, that's how it played out. Yeah, and, and your sight and, and its relationship to the game that you touched on before, I mean, your 
career, I guess the peak of it anyway, when you're representing Australia, coincided with the introduction of the pink ball. And there were a few trial matches at the time um, at Shield level. How did the introduction of the pink ball uh, affect you, Bud? Um, I only played one game. It was actually, I played for the MCC versus the reigning um, uh, county champions, Nottinghamshire. That, I can't remember what year it was, but we played in Abu Dhabi. And I remember I, I was after captain. It was kind of like a select 11 and I was after captain. And and I was paid, I don't know, I don't know a couple of thousand dollars. And Raul Jarvid played and he was, he was probably paid a fair bit more, but no one else was paid to play on this. They just got their fares and combination paid for. So anyway, we turned up and um, this was before they understood that colourblind people see the pink ball as a dark colour, whereas normal people see it as a bright colour. So mm. they had a, a black sight screen and purple seats behind there. So I'm trying to pick up a dark ball with a black sight screen and, and, and purple seats. Um <laughs> Fair to say, I had I didn't have a lot of luck. I got hit by a full toss. It hit me almost on the knee. Um, I just didn't even see it. Um, it was by a bowler named Luke Fletcher, and uh, and yeah, that was. Um, I think Rob Jarvis got a hundred, so he earned his, his cash that day. But uh, um, I, I I didn't get any, and and vowed never to play a, a a pink ball game again, and actually retired um, the year when they started playing shield cricket pink ball. I believe. Um, so it almost came at a perfect time. Yeah, I reckon that's sliding door stuff, isn't it? Do you ever sit back and wonder or, or think, geez, I got out just in the nick of time? Because I think there was a trial game, a Vic Tassie Shield match, and this is really early on. And I think 2014, perhaps, you'd played as much first class cricket as anyone in the world that year, but you withdrew from that because you just simply hadn't had enough time to prepare and the difficulties you thought you'd have with the pink ball. So perhaps you got out just in the nick of time, Chris. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Um, I mean, I've heard Matthew Wade is, is colourblind and he's managed to have some success against it. So perhaps with a white sight screen, it, it, it'd be a bit better. Um, but yeah, I mean, even when I commentate with the, the pink ball, it's, it's really hard to pick up. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure. It probably was the right time. And um, yeah, I, I just think I was a bit lucky with that. Yeah. So your test boo ends up coming at the age of 30 after an injury to, to Matty Hayden, which we'll get to later. But you're then made to wait another five years before being recalled and going on to play another 24 tests for your country. And you average just under 43 with the bat. I wanted to ask you, Chris, the pressure, the scrutiny, the competition for spots. I mean, in a way, did you feel like almost every test would be your last? Is that par for the course when it comes to representing Australia at test level? Uh, a little bit. There was always just that anxiety that, um, you know, I always probably put two test matches at times. There were two test matches. Um, if I failed, I was mm. probably a good chance. Um, I mean, Phil Hughes was, was you know, this was um, the time where he was kind of scoring a, a lot of runs as well. And, and I know there was, you know, there was there was a, a big push to, to get him back in the side, being so, so talented. So, um, yeah, I just felt probably on edge. Um, and and at times it got to me. I, I remember uh, in the, the Ashes of 13, 14, I actually finished off with, with centuries in, in Melbourne and Sydney. And then we, we, we went to South Africa. And I, I thought it was a bonus I got on that tour. Um, 
because halfway through that Ashes series, I probably hadn't scored the runs I needed to. And then, and then we went to South Africa, and that first test, Shane Watson was injured, um, and Alex Doolan and Sean Marsh both both played, and they both scored runs. And I'll never forget, um, I didn't score any runs in that first test, and then the, and then I was reading way too much of um, social media and the media and things like that, and it was getting me down. And then I missed out the first innings of Port Elizabeth, and I vowed like not to read anything, not to look at my phone, and I, I turned the TV on, and it was their equivalent of our inside cricket TV show, um, mm. and it was some guy I'd never seen before in, in in my life, and he was just saying, "Oh, they need to drop Rogers straight away and get Watson back into the side." And I nearly threw the, the remote at the TV. I was just so frustrated, um, and then I kind of, I almost just. For whatever reason, I spoke to my dad about it and, and um, I just went out that next innings and almost carefree. I was like, oh, well, if I nick off, um, that's it. I'll, my career will be finished, my international career. I'll go and play some you know, state cricket, some county cricket. I'll be happy. Um, and, and I went out and everything hit the middle of the bat. And it was just a, it was a great lesson just to kind of realise that there's so much you can't control. You, you just got to go and try and enjoy the moment um, and, and hopefully the success will come. But... Um, it was a tough lesson to to learn, but um, but yeah, one that that served me well after that. Yeah, I guess the rise of the pink ball also somewhat coincided with the rise of social media. So you're probably glad to leave both behind you. But um, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned state cricket and county cricket. I mean, geez, your apprenticeship was long. You spent a decade playing for WA. You moved to Victoria. I think you represented five county teams in England over that 10-year period as well. You just couldn't get a look in when it came to the Aussie squad. So I imagine even before getting there, psychologically, you'd been through all the stages by then. The big dream, the disappointment, and then to, I'm sure, thinking you've got to move on and accept that you're perhaps never going to quite get there. Yeah, there was a lot of that thinking. Uh, you know, you, you kind of... You, uh, there were times when I would look at players who were in the team and think, you know, I'm I've outperformed them. I, I don't understand why they're getting picked and I'm not. Um, so that was a bit frustrating at times. Uh, but you just, you know, you're still playing cricket for a living. I think that that was that, that was the, um, the the great thing. And and then uh, you just hope that that maybe that this opportunity will come along. But um, it, and eventually it did. And I was a bit fortunate with that that how that happened. I, I, I think probably the one thing for a lot of state players is you just have this burning desire to to see if you're good enough at international level. That That's mm. the thing. I think you you look at it at times and you think, gee, like they're, they're playing on flat wickets. Some of that bowling looks a little bit innocuous. I, I reckon, you know, I could, I could go okay. But until you, you actually go and do it, you always have that kind of nagging doubt at the, the back of your mind that, you know, perhaps you just would fail and wouldn't be up for it kind of thing. So that was probably what drove me. I just wanted to know if I if I could succeed at that, that level. Um, a lot for myself, really, um, and for the people kind of close around me. But, um, you know, then that opportunity came and, and it, was a, it was a bit of a struggle at the beginning, but then there was a bit of success at times as well. So, uh, you know, I finished my career, I was completely satisfied really that you know that I'd had a go and, and, and showed that I could compete at that level so I was I was pretty content. Do you still have a hit these days? <laughs> Absolutely not. it's funny, I, I don't 
I don't have any interest in putting the pads on. It, it is, <laughs> it's like I carried really? cricket bags around for 20 years. Um, I played over 300, you know, four-day games, four or five-day games. Um, just think how many days that is of my life. You know, I, I literally have zero interest in, in putting the pads on. It's, it's, um, it's one of the things that kind of, when I was getting to the back end, it was a bit, I wasn't sure when was the right time to retire. And I, I kind of asked a few of the the um, coaches and things like that. It was Michael Divinuto, who was the Australian batting coach. And he just said to me, he said this thing, he said, you know when you know, Buck. And I went, what does that mean? He said, you know when you know. And and I kind of, I didn't really understand it for a while until the moment happened and I realised that I knew. And it was it was just, it was a weird moment. Um, but yeah, until I kind of understood that, I thought he was, you know, he was talking rubbish. But um, yeah, it was it was once once I made that decision that that's I've been completely content with it ever since. You're listening to this is your journey, and it's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. And in the week the Ashes finally came to life, we're talking to former Aussie opening batsman Chris Rogers. We'll be back with Chris right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're chatting to former Aussie opener Chris Rogers. So, Chris, where was home for you as a kid? Uh, I grew up in Perth, um, in, in suburbs there. My, my dad, my family, my sorry, my parents are, are from um, New South Wales, a little bit of Central Coast, and, and mum's more from Sydney. Um, but then dad was heavily involved in cricket in, in New South Wales, a bit of a, a a club legend there, um, and was a selector for New South Wales. He played five games for them as well, and then he got the job as uh, general manager of the Wacker. So we moved when I was three to, to Perth, and um, yeah, I, I grew up um, in Perth, and I was really fortunate with um, with life there. So with your father John, his playing background, and then into administration, as you say, was was cricket all you knew after you were born in '77? When did your relationship with the game start? What's your earliest recollection? Uh, um, I mean, I, I think I had an older brother as well, so uh, Dave. So he was three years older. So so we were always messing around, playing that kind of. Funnily enough, we actually went back to the Central Coast, um, and lived in King Cumber for a year. Um, and I played a year for a Voca, I don't know what it was, under 11s or something like that. And and Brian Sawyer was, was my coach, and, and his son, Matt Sawyer, was my best mate at the time. And, and that's probably my first, uh, yeah, experience of playing some kind of competitive cricket. So I must have been about 10. And you're also a cousin, and look, reading, probably a distant cousin, of Ian Rogers, who is 17 years your senior and a chess grandmaster, Chris. You didn't think about picking up a rook or a bishop instead of a bat, did you? Um, I can fully say to you that that is absolute rubbish. I don't know who's put that on Wikipedia, but <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> it's not true. It's no, a furphy. Not at all, but, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> but I don't, you know, I, I've let that one go on there. I don't really care. People think that I might have some kind of intelligence and, and yeah, some skill when it comes to that. But no, that that's that's not true. How bizarre. I was going to say, because you would have had the patience, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I always had a fair bit of patience on the cricket field. I'm, I'm a little bit impatient off the field. I think one of the, one of the interesting things is I think almost you can – you can tell what kind of a person um, they're going to be like about, you know, how they play their cricket. I mean, it, it's almost an exact science, but there's 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 obviously exceptions to the rule, and, and I'd probably say I'm a little bit of an exception to the rule, um, a bit more of a, a, a risk taker at times off the, off the field than I, than I was on the field. I think everyone remembers their first bat, Chris. What, what was yours? Oh, wow. Um, I had a crown. If... if you can remember that. My, my dad would, you know, I always wanted the um, um, the GC scoop. Uh, but I think even then they were a bit expensive and, and, and dad was trying to, you know, subtly tell me the, the teach me the value of money. So <laughs> I think I had the, the crown to, to start off. That was my first one. He might have done you a favour. I think the scoop was uh, bloody heavy as a, a whippersnapper trying to pick those things up. What, a, what about an idol as a kid? Was it who did you look up to when you were sitting at home watching on the small screen? Yeah, oh, well, that wouldn't surprise you. That that's that was Alan Border. Um, you know, it's for, for obvious reasons, but I just he was the kind of guy I, I looked at and thought, you know, what a what a fighter. And then probably Steve War as well. Just that that kind of, um, you know, I. I Resonated more with, with Steve than, than Mark War, um, uh, and, and yes, that they're, they're the kind of players that I always valued. Yeah, so that's most Aussie kids, isn't it, Chris? But when did you realise, or perhaps become aware, that you might have had a talent that could actually take you somewhere with this game? Was there a moment or a stage in your in your journey? Um, not really. I I know this will sound a bit weird, but I, I mean, I was always the smallest kid in the in the in the school, in the team, that kind of thing. So, um, I mean, I, I would do okay things, you know, like I was hard to get out, but I couldn't hit the ball off the square. Um, even when I played Aussie under-19s, and I know you say, oh, you play Aussie under-19s, but I was the reserve. Like, funnily enough, Dave Hussey and myself were kind of fighting to be that last player to get into the team. Um and, and even before that, when we played under seventeens for WA, he was a he was a number nine batting um, off spinner, and I was a number ten batting leg spinner. So mm. it, it was it was interesting how that played out. Um, but yeah, it's hard to know when when it all kind of happened. I reckon it was probably not until I went to England um, and I was playing kind of club cricket over there that you know I started to kind of dominate. Um, and then started to believe that, you know, I was, I was a pretty good player. I was playing so much cricket. I was playing four or five days a week. Um, and, and a lot of it was crap cricket, but that's probably where I learned to kind of um, grind and score runs. I'm glad you brought that up because I think you were still a teenager in 96 when you, you played against New Zealand in that under-19s game, the, the youth test match. And then shortly thereafter, I think, you moved to the UK and you played in the Devon League there. And as you say, the runs flowed. But what was the thinking with heading over there at a relatively young age, it must be said? <laughs> um, I didn't want to get a job. I think that that was probably the uh, right. the, the, the main thing. But, but I loved the game. You know, I was, yeah, I was madly in love with cricket. Um 
And there was a, a guy named Paul Terry who uh, who played a lot for Hampshire. I don't know if he, he might have played for England, but he was um, he was kind of captain of of Melville Cricket Club, and I and I started playing for Melville Cricket Club. Um, and he and he just kind of got in touch and said, look. Uh, uh, spoke to me one day and said, there, "There's a club that are, are looking to get an overseas player for. Would you would you be interested?" And and yeah, I I, I loved it. Um, it was um, Devon is is the southwest of England. So at that time, that was a lot before people kind of were going to Europe for for holidays and stuff. So you used to get these touring teams, just um, touring teams, almost every day of the week. They'd come down and 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 play cricket and and. Um, for anyone who has been to Insto Creek Club, it's 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 one of the most picturesque grounds in the world. It, it's where two rivers meet the sea, um, and it's right. It's got like a sea wall and, and a thatch pavilion, and, and um, yeah. So it was it was just a brilliant setting, and and I played. You know, I loved playing playing cricket there. Um, when I when I first got off the plane, I actually went with uh, Dimitri Mascarenas, and. Um, I remember I, I kind of the two guys who were, were who picked me up was a guy named Colin Payne who was like forty seven, the opening bowler who just bowled big in swingers with the with the keeper up and and the the vice captain Frank Biederman who was probably about I don't know three stone overweight um, and 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 not many teeth so it, I was like oh I'm not sure these are the right people but apparently they looked at Dimitri who was almost you know was six foot and and athletic, and then they looked at me. who was about five foot seven, and 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 ginger, and and bad skin, and they thought they they got the wrong guy as well. So it was, it was one of those um, match made in heaven, I think. <laughs> but 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 for all of that, Buck, I guess you're at home at, at out in the middle. It's all the same. But off the field, off the away from the pitch, culture wise, was it an adjustment? Uh, yeah. I mean, I was. 18 as well and I was kind of learning about life and 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 learning fast um I'd never lived away from home either so um but the the one great thing and and it doesn't happen nearly as much now because of visa rules and 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 things like that but the one great thing was whenever I went over to play cricket in England I automatically had 10 friends and that was the thing um and because you were the overseas player that you know, people would go out of their way to help you out. Um, so, whereas I was a bit of fish out of water at times, and and you know, I was I was learning a lot. It, it always just had a really good support crew around who, who you know, if I ever got into trouble, I'd I'd, I'd be okay. Well, I remember actually one of my one of my first nights out. I was living with an older couple just for a couple of couple of weeks before they they found me the right spot. But um, I was I went out to a nightclub and um, I got back. And um, my key wouldn't work. I just couldn't get my key to work. So it was felt like a bit of a balmy night. So I kind of just um, went. I thought I'll just sleep in the in the garden, that kind of thing, because I had a big jacket. And then about an hour later, I woke up. I was completely frozen. Yeah, and I just had to bang on the door to to wake the, this older couple out, and they just came out and looked at me and and burst into laughter about what I what I'd done. So, yeah, there was a bit of naivety for sure when I when I went over there. But um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't change the, those experiences for, for anything. But funnily enough, like a lot of the guys I, I um, who I was playing cricket with, they all went to the academy um, in Adelaide, um, and, and I was never invited 
to go there. I just they, I don't think they thought I was good enough. Um, but I went to, to England instead. Um, and yeah, I, I reckon it taught me more about life than, than anything else, and, I, and I'm grateful for that. Oh, I was just going to say they are just they are life experiences, aren't they? That that stay with you forever. They're fantastic. And, and fast forwarding, if you like, Chris, but staying on the domestic front. I mean, you you left WA for Victoria after ten years in two thousand eight. Now it didn't go down well with the locals. I think it's fair to say the then Wacker CEO Graham Wood described it as bewildering. Why did you make the move in oh eight um, to the other side of the country? <laughs> um. Wow, where do I start? Um, yeah, I, I think it was. Uh, look, I, I was, I was probably just a little bit at odds with how that selection was getting done. Um, I, I think you know, like Tom Moody's had a had an incredible coaching career. I, I think his motto really was kind of, "We'll pick talent," and there were much more talented players than me, but that didn't make them better. And, and so there were kind of, there were one day games where I wasn't getting selected. I mean, I, I when I played my test match, the first test match, I, I played that test, I think we finished on the Sunday and the Monday and um, the, the following Friday, WA were playing a one day game and I wasn't in the side. So it was kind of this, you know, weird kind of sensation where um, I just felt like I was being undervalued a little bit um, and that other players were being overvalued. Um, and, and I tried to kind of talk to, to Tom about it, but he just saw things differently, really. Um, but the good thing about, like, with us, with, with Tom, I, I've, I've done a bit of commentary with him since and, and, and we get on really, really well. I think, And I think both parties now reflect back and go, gee, we, we, we both could have handled that so much better. Um, mm. But, yes, it was, it was probably a... a just a, a moment where I just felt like, um, you know, I, I had much more value to give. And, and without sounding, you know, um, I don't know, um, bitter, I, I did. I went to Victoria next year and I, and I won like one day player of the year um, in the competition. So it, it was kind of, you know, it was a bit like um, selection is, is a lot subjective. And, and at the time, I just didn't think that, um, they were making the right ones and, and, and felt for my own career, I probably needed to go elsewhere as well. Because it's really hard, I think, really hard also to get into the Australian side if you're, if you're only playing one of the four maps at the time. Surely there's some satisfaction. Come on, let, let's uh, put the political correctness aside. With, with 12 months on being awarded. <laughs> that, is, that is the definition of satisfaction, surely. Well, it was one of those things, that you, if I look back at my career, um, I came back to play at the Wacker next year. We had a one-day game and then a four-day game. And I I got 75, I think, in the one-day game. I got man of the match and we won. And then I actually scored 200s in the in the four-day game, including hitting Adam Boges for a, for a sweet shot four to win the game in the, in the fourth innings. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was, um, it was one of those things you look back and it was like the stars aligned and... I don't yeah. know if that was meant to be or, or whatever, but um, yeah, it was it was pretty satisfying. I did one thing I'll always regret though, and um, uh, Marcus North got two hundreds in the game as well. And each time he got a hundred, and we 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 were like best mates almost. And each time he got a hundred, he looked at me and kissed the badge. <laughs> so I, right. And I said that 
I said to Dave Hussey in the second innings when he did it, when Marcus did it, I said, I said if, he, if he kisses the badge this time and I get 100 in the second innings, I'm going to kiss the badge as well. And sure enough, it all played out. And I got 100 and I, I kissed the badge. Um, you know, and it just didn't go down well at all either. And I, I regret that. That was a, that was a, a bit of shit behaviour by me, if I'm allowed to say that. But yeah, that, that, oh, I remember that vividly. Yet ultimately, I mean, the move obviously paid off coming over to Victoria. But we speak about how you had to, you know, fight and scrap for everything. I mean, how close did you think you got to losing your Cricket Victoria contract years later in when it was 2012? Oh, no, I was, I was told I'd lost it. So um, our head selector, I remember this, um, our head selector, I was playing cricket for Middlesex, um, captaining, going well. Um, uh, what was his name? Maguire, I think it was, um, the head selector. He came over and he, he was in, in London and he invited me to come to breakfast with his wife. And, and I went thinking, no, oh, this is nice. You know, it'd be good to see him and have had breakfast. And then right there and then, he, he, you know, we were having breakfast and then he told me, he said they, they weren't going to renew my contract. <laughs> like, what do you mean? And then his, his wife was sitting there, so... I don't think he did that purposely or what, or, or I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I immediately after that after that meeting, I got on the phone to my agent and I was I was you know I was devastated. And, and and at that stage, I was genuinely thinking of going and playing um, as an overseas player in South Africa or New Zealand or something like that in the in the summer. And just yeah, just um, just wanted to keep playing. I, I didn't think I was ready to finish. And then. Um, Ashton Agar, actually, he last minute he went to Western Australia, and and the last contract came up, and and I, I took that. I went from being on like the top contract to the bottom contract, um, at the time. But I was just grateful to to still be playing. You're with this is your journey, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Well, up next, let's talk about Chris Rogers and uh, a star on the rise. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with former Aussie cricketer Chris Rogers. So, Chris, it was Derbyshire in 04, Leicestershire in 2005, which is where I wanted to pause for a moment. Now, you hit a 56 and a 209, not against any team. You do it in a tour game against Australia before the Ashes that year. Now, the Aussies have an attack containing Lee, Gillespie, Kasparitz, Stewie McGill was bowling that day. What did that do for you, first of all, individually, confidence-wise? Uh, it definitely, it definitely put my name on the, on the map a little bit. Um, in terms of personally, yeah, I, it was a strange feeling. That it, every now and in your, in your career, if, you, if you're lucky enough to play um, for long enough, there's moments where you're batting, and it's all, it's, it's almost like you can't get out. You can try to get out, but you can't get out, and um, it happens really, really rarely. And then, Jeez. this one day. Um, this one day, it was it was like that. I remember Brett Lee in the first innings. He bowled, 
uh, and I mean lightning, he bowled speed of light because um, he knew that that England were going to were going to bowl a lot of bounces, and he was almost practicing his bounces, and and so he was running in a bowl. Um, I'll never forget when he he um, at one stage he um, I, I'd kind of. Uh, they had a leg gully, and and he'd run in. I actually managed to just kind of cut a couple for four, and so Ponting kind of moved him, moved the leg gully to to a second gully, and and Brett Lee was halfway in his um, his run up when the, the guy was still moving. So I pulled out, I pulled back, you know, like kind of say that the field is still moving, and Brett Lee ran all the way down to where I was standing. I said, oh, I'm sorry, mate, and he said. You will be. I'm going to kill you next ball. <laughs> and he, bowled, <laughs> he bowled this bouncer, the next one, and I, it was so fast. I didn't even move, and I heard it kind of just like, um, just fly past my my helmet. It was it was you know it was inches away, um, but he kind of bowled. He bowled about five overs of just unbelievable pace, and then just kind of pulled back and just bowled medium pace after that kind of thing. Um, some of the fastest stuff ever to face. And in the second innings, I think it was about three or four overs of the same stuff. But then it was just the flattest wicket at Grace Road. Um, and, yeah, like I said, I just felt like I couldn't get out. There was even – I did. I got out, caught behind, and it was a no ball of Jason Gillespie. And mm. I don't know if you remember, but in that series, Australia had all these problems with no balls. And I remember at the time, I remember Kasperitz was – he couldn't put his foot behind the line, and the umpire literally couldn't call every every one of them because the game would never finish. And he was trying to tell him, mate, your foot's still over the line. Your foot's still over the line. But he was he was he kept on um, no balls. They just weren't being called. Um, but yeah, and then uh, I just yeah, it just kind of went my way. And and um, before you know, I was like, yeah, I was about 120 or 100. Sorry, just over 100. And Matthew Hayden said to me. He said, "Come on, mate, time to get out," kind of thing. And there were there was actually it was day it was a Sunday it was day four of Masters or something like that I can't remember it. Um, and uh, <laughs> really, and, and and then and then so they wanted to get get on the on the bus and go kind of watch it, you know, that that kind of thing. And uh, the British Open, I think it was. And so anyway, uh, I kind of did. I tried slogging and stuff like that, and I nicked one. I got got out, um, but it was a no ball. And then I just kept slogging and they kind of, you know, went into holes and gaps and things like that. And then I got a hold of a few. And before you know, I was, I was kind of close to 200 and I thought, I could do this. And then so um, managed to, yeah, to, to score, to, to get that 200. And it was it was just a, yeah, one of those moments where I, got, I didn't even know I had it in me. So it was, it was fantastic. And it was, it was, you know, secretly great to do it against the Aussies, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that they appreciated it that much at the time. But yeah, it was, it was a great day. I was going to ask you if that was fact or fiction with Matty Hayden um, saying you should get out because you two had a bit of a well. He was never backwards in coming forwards in, in having a few words to say while you were batting over the years, was he? <laughs> um. No, but I'm not the only one. He he, he was um, he was a huge competitor, um, obviously. And then and then I think you know the the way he carried himself, there was that bit of that bravado and and getting your face and that kind of stuff. So you knew what was coming when you when you played against 
Matty Hayden, and he was just so intimidating. But all the all the Queensland guys were. They, it, just, it, was, they were it all felt like they were about six foot four plus. It was yeah. so intimidating playing against that side at the time. Um, and yeah, he was he was one of them. Because there was a Pura Cup game, wasn't there, 99, that I think you've referenced a couple of times since. I mean, it might have only been your fifth first-class match. And um, he had a pretty pointed remark, didn't he, after you, you might have hit a boundary in that match? Uh, did he? <laughs> I forgot. I think he said he pointed out he pointed out that um, at least this is how it's been reported that n- none of your teammates in the dressing room were clapping and um, a- and you might have said a-, a short period of time later that it was one of the more telling sledges that you'd actually that you'd actually copped. Oh, it's funny what you remember and what you forget, but um, yeah, I mean that was uh, I I think that that was. You know that was a lot of how cricket was played at the time. It wasn't. It just wasn't Matthew Hayden. It was. Yeah. You know, you'd go and play Victoria, and Darren Berry would be. You know, especially when he was standing up to the stumps, he he would he would be making sure you felt uncomfortable. But but all the sides did. I'm you know I'm. I don't want to just bring up Darren Berry's name because there were you know it was all the way throughout. Mm. Um, and that was just how it was played at the time. And, and in some respects, that's you know that that. That toughened you up, you know. It, it, it prepared you for for Jimmy Anderson and the Ashes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I, and I suppose somewhat ironically, it was it was Matty Hayden's hamstring that opened the door, didn't it? So two thousand eight against India, third test at, at, at the Wacker. Although was the baggy green too small, Chris? It give you a tremendous amount of headaches on on uh, on day one, which you'd spent all day in the field, didn't you? Yeah, it was it was forty odd degrees. We lost the toss and. Um, it was literally like 42 degrees, and, and um, we fielded, and we fielded all day. It was the day, too, if you remember. It was Sean Tate's last test match, and he had to bowl the over just before lunch, and he was trying to rush through to get one extra over, and he, he must have bowled three or four no balls. Um, and, yeah, it's kind of where his wheels came off a little bit. Um, and I remember, I think Saywag batted, you know, just unbelievably against us and, and Tendulkar got I don't know, 60 or 70 and, and was, was outstanding. Um, and, but we, so we filled it all day and then I, I so they presented, Justin Langan presented me with the baggy cat and, and I have a pretty big head, um, ironically enough. <laughs> and, um, and so I put this cap on, it was way too small. And, and so anyway, I, you don't say anything because, you know, it's your, your first so um, I, I, the day two, we had to go out and field again. And it was I put it on straight away. It was so hot again. And I straight away gave me a headache. So I'd done it with some other caps. And I, you'd go and kind of get some scissors and just snip them a little bit and then just try <laughs> and stretch it a bit. Just to, and, um, and I did it. I snipped it. And then I was sitting next to Phil Jakes, who I was opening with, and I just kind of tried to stretch it a bit. And I ripped it almost in half. <laughs> and I'll never forget, he just looked at me and he just, he just said, what have you done? Like that. And then Gilchrist came and just looked and just burst into laughter. Um, and yeah, then I had to go out and field with Brad Hogg's bag of green on and, and someone in the crowd just yelled out, I bet you slept with it, with that bag of green. I was like, no, nah, it's not even mine. But um, yeah, so that, no, they gave me another one. I don't know what happened to that first one, unfortunately. I would have I liked to have kept it. 
It was an eventful test for you, wasn't it? I mean, it came 10 days after the second test in Sydney in the Monkeygate scandal, obviously, involving Harbhajan Singh and Andrew Simons. And there was a real simmering tension between the two sides at this stage. And you were, I guess, plunged right into the middle of it. Oh, what sort of team talk did you walk into before that third test in Perth, uh, Bart? Yeah, we, we, we had a meeting. It was like two or three days before. And it really was just about this incident. It wasn't it wasn't about the game or, you know, like how we're gonna find the whacker or anything like that. I mean the other thing was Australia won sixteen test matches in a row. So they were going for the world record seventeen. So I don't think that they really cared too much about planning because they didn't need to, you know, in, in most cases they're just so good. And um and so we had this meeting um and I was just sitting kind of at the back I had no idea what was going on, really. I was just, you know, I was kind of a bit in awe of the, of the, the players who were in the room and a bit in awe of the fact that I was even there, you know. So, um, and then, yeah, just kind of got, I went there. It was, um, and then I remember it was, it was Matty Hayden um, had to do a, a te- like a fitness test and everyone had gone just about. Um, and then it was just um, him Alan Gilchrist and Andrew Simons left, and uh, and yeah, Hayden came up and and just said, "Buck, um, I'm no good. You're in." And then yeah, then I was all I was a bit. I remember I went out and I called my dad, and I've never heard my dad cry, but he he, he teared up, I think. Um, and uh, and yeah, that was it was quite an incredible moment. Andrew Andrew Simons was amazing to me in that test as well. He was just he was just so supportive. Um, but yeah, it was it was a, a bit of a. It, I remember Mike. I've heard Mike Hussey say the first test is just a blur, and it is, especially because it was a home test. So I was trying to yeah. organise tickets for friends and family and 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 do all this and um, and yeah, you, you, we we got beaten. Um, I, I got four and fifteen, um, something like that, and then. Yeah, then I was kind of discarded, and and uh, no one no one got a hundred in that test match. It was a bit of a tricky whack a wicket, um, and then yeah, that then they went to Adelaide, I think after, and Hayden came back in. He got a hundred. It was about three or four boys got hundreds, um, and yeah, I just thought. And the the worst feeling about that was, and I've seen it happen with so many guys like Bob Quiney, Callum Ferguson. It, all the guys that go play one or two tests, you spend you spend years trying to climb the mountain, and then you just pushed off the the cliff, and you you're at the back of the bottom of the mountain again. Yeah, you look up yeah. and you go, I've got to do it all over again, um, and that's the worst thing. And and it takes it takes months to to kind of deal with that. And if you look at the guys who have been through those experiences, generally the next six months is pretty poor because you're just dealing with all this. Um, emotional baggage, and it was a bit the same with me. I just, I just, I just felt like that was it. I was going to be a one-test wonder, and and that was all I'd ever amount to be. We're talking to Chris Rogers on this is your journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. But Chris wasn't a one-test wonder, and we'll explore why that was the case right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. And the fascinating Chris Rogers has been our guest today. So, Chris, you wouldn't go down as a one-cat wonder, but how did you get back in? It was a real sliding doors moment. Were you just the right man in the right place at the right time? And Ricky Ponting retired, Michael Hussey retired, and I'm not sure, but did selectors decide they just needed perhaps a, a little dollop of experience rather than some, you know, next-generation talent? Uh, yeah, I, I think you nailed it, really. It was also right after um, Homework Gate. So yeah. there, was a, there was a fair bit going on um, within the group. Uh, and, yeah, I think that they just got to a point where you know, I was a bit like, we've got a lot of youth here. We, we, we could do with some experience. And I think, you know, Brad Haddon kind of came back into the fold and, and Ryan Harris, I think, and, and these kind of guys. So we, we they I think they just wanted to just strengthen, you know, the, the, the side from that point of view. And, and obviously I had um, a, a lot of experience in England in those conditions, um, which which most Australian batsmen find hard to, to adjust to. And then... Uh, yeah, what what I'll never forget though. So I was playing for Middlesex and I was living in um, West Hampstead, and the guys got knocked out of Australia got knocked out of the Champions Trophy early. So half the side then kind of or a few of them went and played in the Aussie A game down at Bristol, and the other half just went to London and they needed a ground to train at. So they trained trained at Hampstead Cricket Club, which was. Literally, it was 200 metres walk from where I was I was staying at the time. So I'd kind of drag my bag through the streets of West Hampstead to go to this cricket club, and, and then I'd train with the guys because um, uh, I was still playing for Middlesex at, at, at that time. And Mickey Arthur, <laughs> he kind of... We were having... I had a couple of net sessions. Well, I had a net session. He came up to me after the, the first net session. He, he said, he said, Buck, that was really good. And I was like, oh, thanks. He goes, yeah, I've never seen you bat before. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then um, I don't think that's true because I think I played in a game where he was he was, um, he was was coach. So anyway, uh, the next day, so we had a good conversation. The next day he came up to me and he, and he said, he said, Buck, no, I've just been really impressed with, with how you've gone these, these first few days. And he said, just to let, um, he said two things. I, when we get the Somerset, which is where the first um, practice game is going to be, I, I want to go for dinner with you. I just want to pick your brain. I'm, I'm cricket over here, you know. Like I've really enjoyed our chats the last few days. And I said, "Cool." He said, "Oh, and and just letting you know, uh, also, um, you'll be opening in the first test." And I was like, "Oh, wow! You know, this is amazing." That kind of. And funnily enough, I had to get in the car and drive up to I think it was Lancashire or somewhere like that, Yorkshire. And play like a one-day game the next day for, for for Middlesex kind of thing. And I was driving up, and I was in the car with Sam Robson, who played for England, but is probably more of an Australian. But um, anyway, and his his mate was um, dating Mickey Arthur's daughter, and we're driving up, and he gets his phone out and he's reading it. He goes, "Oh, oh, Mickey Arthur's been sacked." <laughs> 
I just couldn't believe my luck. I was like, there I was, you know, told told I was going to play, and then next thing you know, the coach has been sacked. So, um, yeah, I didn't know how to how to take that. So, um, yeah, after that, we went down to to Somerset, and we picked up the Aussie A guys, and Darren Lehman was coaching the Aussie A team, so and he he came in, and I. I remember we were staying at the Castle Hotel in Somerset, which is this really old hotel with one lift. Um, you could only fit like one person in. So I ended up dragging, carrying my, my suitcase and my cricket bag up three flights of stairs. And and I just, I always hang my clothes up when I get into a hotel room. So I just kind of over my suitcase and threw all my clothes out kind of thing about to hang them up. And, he, and there was a knock on the door and he came in and it was Darren Lehman. And he, he just walked in and he just went, Oh, you're a messy bastard, eh? And I was like, Oh, wow, great first impression kind of thing. And um, then he said, Just to let you know, you won't be playing in this first practice game. Uh, and my heart sunk. And he said, But you will be opening in the first test. And then, um, yeah, that was it. Was one of the moments. And I remember he said it to me since. He said it was one of the, the best moments in his, his coaching career. My, my reaction, apparently. So. Um, yeah, it was it was a it was an interesting few weeks leading into that first test. It's just amazing, isn't it? So at the age of thirty five, this is, and you, you don't let them down. You average forty point seven seven for the series. You're Australia's third highest run scorer. You you, you reach a maiden uh, hundred, obviously, in the first innings of the fourth test at, at Durham, I think it was. I mean, family, friends, all those with the intimate understanding of the struggle to get there must have been an unbelievable time for you. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, the first test was amazing. It was, it was um, Ashton Agar when he got ninety-eight, and we we nearly stole the game. Um, <laughs> some of the best batting I've ever seen in my life, and um, from number eleven. And then uh, we fell short. Now we went to Lords, and we got absolutely hammered. Like, and and I that was when I missed that full toss, and you know we we were we were woeful. Um, and I. I my friend Stephen Peters, who I played um, county cricket at, at uh, Northamptonshire, he had a benefit year that year. And um, in between the second and third tests, uh, there was a there was a practice game down in Hampshire. But I was told, "Don't worry about it. Just just stay in London, relax." So I, I could go to his benefit dinner, which was at the Oval. So I jumped on a on a um, the underground, went round to there, and then um, they had. They had a panel of Alastair Cook, Alex Stewart, and Jeff Thompson. I remember, and at the end, uh, I tried to go like say hello to Jeff Thompson, um, introduce himself. He had absolutely no idea who I was. And then, anyway, the panel they, the panel guy got asked what their prediction for the series would be at the end, and and um, Alastair Cook, you know, naturally said, "Oh, look, I don't want to say you know anything there, that kind of thing." And Alex Stewart said, "Oh, it's definitely going to be five 0 that kind of thing. And then they got the Jeff Thompson. He goes, oh, I don't know, but our top order is a disgrace. Our number, um, like one, two, three, are worse than nine, 10, 11 kind of thing. And just completely blitzed me in front no. of the whole crowd. I don't, I don't even know if he knew I was there kind of thing. And, and so I was, you know, I was devastated leaving that. And then um, that was when I probably thought I had one more test match. And, uh, I went up. We went, we went up to uh, Manchester and we won the toss, and it was just a perfect batting pitch, and everything found the middle of the bat. Thankfully, um, I think I was fifty or forty-seven balls, and, and 
um, I was out for 84. Um, there was a bit of commotion on the stand behind and, and there was some bloke who was waving at me. Um, yeah. And I got out the next ball and it turned out to be my opening partner from Fran Cricket Club. <laughs> so that was um, um, interesting. But then, we yeah, we went to Durham um, and it was it was going to be a green top. And Darren Lehman, I remember, come up to me and said, mate, you are getting 100 this game. And, uh, yeah, I don't know why. Like, that just kind of helped me a lot. Um, and then, yeah, I, it was one of those innings where I, I just think everything went my way. You, you you have a lot of bad luck throughout your career, but then there's moments where you just you know that everything went, went my way. I must have played and missed 20, 25 times. I was dropped at second slip. Um had a review that could have been given out. It was, it was all a, a couple of little things like that. But, um, yeah, that, that 100 is my favourite because, um, yeah, it was the first one and I was I was actually... I remember Brad Haddon putting his arm around me. He, I was batting with him and he just said, mate, you deserve this. And then I, I was tearing up a little bit down the, the non-strikers end the, the, the next over. Um, <laughs> but we got through the end of the day and then... I was meant to have, funny enough, I was meant to have dinner with Frank Biederman, who was the, um, the vice captain that, you know, that I first got off the plane with, the one I said was three stones yeah. overweight. Um, <laughs> and I, I had to call I had to call him and say, look, mate, um, I'm going to have dinner with my parents tonight. And that was, that, that's, you know, you look back and go, that was um, just a, a big thank you for, for everything that they'd done for me, really. And, and you know, who, who I wanted to share that, that moment with a little bit. And it was, um, yeah, it was it was amazing. Magnificent. And that, that century, you're on 96 for, for how long, do you reckon? Because Graham Swan had you pinned down for what seemed like an eternity. Did it feel like a, a long time for you to be stuck on 96? Yeah, I think it was like 40 minutes or something like that. I know it was about 24 balls. Um, wow. So, yeah, and I panicked a little bit. And I, I just couldn't. I'd missed a... I'd hit, a, hit him for four to go to 96 and then he bowled a short wide one that I should have hit for four and I, I clocked it and, and didn't get any. And then he just didn't bowl a bad ball after that. He was, he was an unbelievable bowler to left-handers in particular. Um, and I, I just found him so difficult. And I kind of, I just couldn't score off him and, and Shane Watson was down the other end. He couldn't get off strike either. Um, he actually got caught down leg side off Tim Bresen, I think it was. Um, which I felt a bit bad for because we just came to an absolute standstill. And then, anyway, I got to the point and I just I panicked and I thought to myself, either either I do something here, I'm going to get out. So either I take him over his head, um, but the chances of me going over mid off and mid on weren't, weren't weren't high, or I just I just sweep and hope that I don't miss it and get LB. And um, in the end. Um, yeah, I, he just he bowled a ball. It was right in the perfect spot um, to sweep, and I hit it. And there's a there's a moment I think where you hit the ball, and only you know that um, you know where it's gone, kind of thing. And so I hit it, and there's a you know there was a fraction of silence before people realised the ball had, you know was going to the boundary. So that was that was kind of I kind of think that that was my moment. Um, but yeah, and then it was just pure relief, really, more than anything. Um, Just a, yeah, yeah it, was, it was an amazing moment. So the Return Ashes series in 13-14, he averaged 46 and, and a bit, another two tonnes in that series. He had 100 against South Africa as well. And 
And then you said prior to the 2015 series back in England uh, for the Ashes that it would be your last series. I, I reckon the fact that you retired on your own terms as well. I mean, after everything you'd been through as well, and not many in professional sport get the chance to go out on their own terms. And, geez, what a way to go out. I mean, you lost the series, but individually, highest test score of your career, 173 as well. I think you averaged 60, and you're the player of the series. It was a scriptwriter's dream. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was funny, because we were playing so well at the time, and, and I think Steve Smith actually said, look, if we play our best, we're going to win. And I, I just thought, oh... I'm not sure it's going to be that easy. I think we're, you know, in these conditions, it's going to be tough. And um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know. It was it was one of those things where you're just so determined to, to finish well. I just was, I mean, everyone's determined, but I was just, um, I was ready to fight as hard as I ever had, kind of, to, to, to try and grind them out. Um, and I knew it would play an important role um, to hopefully look after our middle order. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it started all right from a personal point of view. I, I think I got, I got 95 in the first one, um, first innings. But we lost that 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 test. And we I think we we, we tried to overtake Mo and Ali, and, and there was a couple of, like, caught in the deep, or uh, I think Smith got a leading edge um, running at him. And then, yeah, so I think we, we, we played a dumb game of cricket, really. And then we went to Lords, won the toss. It was pretty flat. It swung early, but it was pretty flat. And then um, Davey threw away a start, but, but Steve came out and we batted for the rest of the day. And, and I, you know, to bat a whole day in a, in, in a test is, you know, that, that, that's something to be proud of, I think. And, and yeah, walking back through... The long room after batting for the day. A lot of those, a lot of the supporters there are the, are the same supporters that go to the Middlesex game. So I, I knew a lot of them. But um, yeah, walking through the long room to a standing ovation is one of the, one of the, the great feelings, great experiences. And then um, we won that we won that test easily. And then it all went a bit kind of crap after that. We 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 lost the toss. Uh, I think we won the toss and and, and batted. On at Edgebaston, and it was it was a um, it was a bit of a bad decision in the end. We got bowled out for 120, I think. Um, and then yeah, we went to we went to um, Nottingham, and and yeah, the less said about that, the the, the better, I think. So <laughs> it was it was uh, it was one of those days. I I know people say, oh, it didn't look that flat, but it, it was it was weird. It was. It was kind of the way the ball was bouncing. It was like if you didn't play a miss, you just nicked it. And I think the first person to play a miss was um, Nathan Lyon, who was batting ten or whatever, eleven. Um, and it was just it was perfect conditions for for England. They just bowled the right length, particularly Stuart Broad. And and we just yeah we just nicked everything. I, I remember the one I nicked. I just thought I had it covered. Like I was so surprised that I, I, um, it found its way to slip. Um, and then I sat down in the room after it. <laughs> it sounded like there was an appeal or a wicket every ball. It was it was quite incredible. Um, and then yeah, so that so that so it didn't go our way. We didn't we didn't play you know we didn't play uh, as well as we could have. But equally, I thought England played some some pretty good cricket as well. But it was nice to yeah it was nice to kind of score some runs in that series. I, I knew it was time to finish international 
cricket when Steve Finn bowled me a, a bouncer in the third test. Um, and, and I'd had a, a few problems with concussion at this stage, but he bowled me a bouncer and I I couldn't move. It, it's interesting. People say your reactions slow down. Yeah, You still see the ball as well as anything. It's just it's like my back was stiff and I couldn't move kind of thing. Um, so usually, you know, it's way out of the way. I just was literally stuck to the spot and um, just lucky it missed my head, really. Um, and that was probably it. That was kind of the moment I knew that I, 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 I think international cricket was 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 truly done for me. And, and then, yeah, just wanted to get through the series. Geez, a lot happened in those 25 tests and, and so much in the lead up to it, Chris. I, I, honestly, we could talk to you all day. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. I need to thank you so much for donating your time today. I mean, you are living proof that never say never is a phrase worth remembering. You're a prolific run scorer at state, county level. You knocked and knocked on the international door. And then when it opened, you refused life membership to the one test club. Certainly nothing came easy, but that makes your journey all the more significant. Hey, well done on all you achieved, and thanks for joining us. No, I really appreciate that, Sammy. It was, it was nice to reflect. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting story. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.